Happy Father's Day. Uh, guys, can we give our, our, our guys a hand? Slow clap. Slow clap. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're doing this. We're doing this. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about what could I say to dads, and I have an entire sermon where I'm going to kick you uh, in a minute, but... Um, uh, I, I will say this. I was just thinking about my kids. You know, I mean, this is obviously what makes me a, a father. And, and I was thinking about each of them and just something that I'm, I'm really enjoying about them right now. And so Finley, ever since she was uh, maybe two uh, or, or so, she's four now, she, uh, I, I just I tickle her constantly, like incessantly. And so uh, I started this thing with her when if she says the word tickle, it, it requires that she gets at least one tickle and so and it, it'll just increase from there and and stuff like that and so I said Finley did you just say tickle she said no I said tick oh dad I didn't I didn't she didn't say the whole word um, or sometimes she'll say tackle daddy instead of tickle and and stuff like that so just loving the cuteness of that relationship uh, my um, second to the youngest Hudson uh, who's seven uh, he just started baseball this year and just, it, it has been so stinking cute. I mean, you should see this kid run. It is so funny, um, but it is so stinking cute to uh, see your kid hit the ball. We've been, you know, working with the wiffle balls out in the, in the front yard, and he finally started connecting with, with those, and then he started hitting in uh, the ball games. And, um, I mean, he just does this shuffle to first base. It'd be a little bit like me running, um, if you've ever imagined that. I hear that that's a funny thought to imagine. It doesn't happen very often, but um, he, he runs the first, and then he turns around, and he's, like, just grinning at us. And that was so stinking fun. And then, um, like, yesterday, Reagan, uh, my 9-year-old daughter, she... Uh, came up to me, and I, I'm sitting there um, reading about the uh, half-inch impact driver, DeWalt, 20 volts, you know, whatever, with 700 uh, foot-pounds of torque, uh, you know, tool that I just got for Father's Day, and uh, I'm just like, this thing's going to break a bolt off if I needed to. I mean, this is going to be amazing. My daughter comes up and wants to dance with me. I've no, I, and that's another odd thing, me dancing, but um, uh, I've done it occasionally up here, just be ready, um, but uh, she wants to dance with me, and so, uh, so when, we, when we bought our, our trailer to do our remodel, we were, we were living in a, a little trailer while we were doing that for 14 months, and so the previous owners left a Nat King Cole CD in there, and that song, Smile, from Nat King Cole comes on. I'm, I'm not going to sing it for you. I might not anyway, but um, in any case, uh, and so uh, she runs upstairs and turns that on on her CD player, and so we danced in the kitchen for a little bit, and it is so stinking sweet. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be playing at her wedding for our dance, and that brings a couple tears, but I'm a man. This is uh, Father's Day, and so, uh, <laughs> and then uh, my, Marshall, my 11-year-old, I mean, this was, this was amazing, uh, his team is the AAA South Salem Little League champions uh, for 2018. Isn't that amazing? Woo! He's right there. He just graduated out of elementary, and he's going to youth group now, and so that's weird. We, like, left him here with uh, Pastor Brian. I'm like, I guess you got him, and we, it's just weird to leave a child somewhere sometimes, and so that was, um, that was kind of a first for us, but uh, at this, this game, Marshall, uh, I'm sitting there, and... Um, the other team, I'll just say this, uh, is not loved very well in the league. And so everybody wanted us to beat this team. And we were beating them handily. 
and then they started to catch up. And we are in the top of the sixth, and I know that we've gone through three pitchers. Our fourth pitcher cannot pitch, and I'm going, um, Marshall's the last pitcher, and he hasn't pitched yet. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I know he likes to pitch, but his dad gets really nervous for him if he's at the top or the bottom of the sixth, and it's the last inning, and he has to pitch. And I'm going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, and sure enough, they call out Marshall. He's grinning ear to ear. He gets on the mound, and I'm just, heart is just pounding. And anyway, it comes down to this last play. He's gotten two guys out at home, and he's sitting on the mound, and I'm sitting there looking at my 11-year-old going, I cannot believe the pressure that this kid is under right now. Uh, he needs one more strike. Can he do this? And he comes back, and he throws so hard, and uh, this kid just goes, and swings and totally misses and the stands go absolutely crazy and he did not know what was going on because he didn't realize that that's where we were in the game and uh, <laughs> sorry to embarrass you buddy and we were, we we're trying to figure out why isn't he like jumping out of his socks because he's so nervous and he was like you know everybody started screaming and I was like what you know and uh, anyway those are some moments for me that that are just so fun as a dad, and so I've just enjoyed uh, being a dad. Those are the fun moments. Uh, there's other moments that are tough and stuff. Uh, in our world today, masculinity and male leadership is, is held at an all-time low. It's just an all-time low. And I just want to tell you that there's so much in our culture today that it, it's, it's, I just have to use the word, it's crap. It's just crap. And, um, but, and the reason why our culture reacts to male leadership, uh, masculinity in such a way is that it's, it's just, it has been misused. It's been abused. Men have abused women. It's, it's very, it's prolific. It's, it's seen all over the place. We're seeing this in the Me Too movement and all of these things. But the answer isn't to reduce uh, manhood or the importance of masculine leadership. It is to uphold it in the right way. And so I do want to talk to you about that today. Before I get there, um, I was reading an article uh, just a little bit ago. I knew that there were some statistics out about this, but if I could even find this article, please tell me. Oh, yes. Whew. That was close. Okay. In 1994, Switzerland did a, um, it was like a census and so in their census stuff, they asked some questions. And so it says, the Swiss carried out an extra survey uh, that the researchers for our masters in Europe, whatever that says. Anyway, next sentence. The question was asked to determine whether a person's religion carried through to the next generation. So if this is a family's religion, does it carry out to the next generation? And if so, why? Uh, or if not, why not? Uh, the result is dynamite. There is one critical factor. It is overwhelming, and it is this. It is the religious practice of the father of the family that, above all, determines the future attendance or absence from church of the children. Now, attendance at church does not mean that you are a believer. I know it seems like that, but just attendance at church does not mean that you are a believer. Faith in Christ is what that means. However, this is very indicative of what it looks like to have male leadership in the home, what it actually means. It is the father's, is, it is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future participation of the child. It says, 
if both father and mother attend regularly to church, if both the mom and the dad are churchgoers, they go all the time, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers. 33%. And 41% will end up attending irregularly. So 33%, really solid 41%. Not, not, not totally, but they still go. And only a quarter of their children will end up not practicing. Okay, so here's the next one. If the father is irregular and the mother is regular, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regulars themselves. Did you hear that? Did you catch that? 33% if dad is regular and mom is regular. 3% if dad is irregular. Um, while a further 59% will become irregulars. 38% will be lost. Last one. If the father is non-practicing and mother regular, so the, the, the father is non-practicing and the mother is regular, only 2% of the children will become regular worshipers and 37% will attend irregularly. Over 60% of their children will be lost completely to the church. You see how this goes? As the father's connection to the church, and I would argue to his faith in Christ, to true relationship with God, uh, your children will follow less and less. I actually have one more here. He says, let's look at the figures another way around. He says, what happens if the father is regular, but the mother is irregular or non-practicing? So dad's a churchgoer, mom's not. Okay? Extraordinarily, the percentage of children becoming regular goes up from 33% to 38%. Okay, so dad is regular, mom is irregular. Instead of it being 33% when they're both regular, it goes up to 38%. So then you might think, well, that might be the, in the margin of error. That's just, you know, part of that deal. But it's, it's astonishing. He says, uh, with, with an irregular mother, and to 44% with a non-practicing mom. As if loyalty to, father, to the father's commitment grows in proportion to the mother's laxity, indifference, or hostility. Do you see what that's saying? It's, it's, it's astonishing that it's like if mom is out of the picture when it comes to the church, uh, or irregular, or, or what have you, it goes from 38% to 44%. It's like the child's connection to God increases as they see the difference between the mom and the dad, as they see uh, as the, the child looks to the dad. This, this article was absolutely amazing. I need to get you the, um, the reference to that here in just a second here. It's Touchstone Magazine. Um, touchstonemagazine.com. That, th those are astonishing figures. You can look throughout and you can see a lot of things like this. You know, our culture recognizes the fact that fatherlessness is a huge deal. Where do gangs come from? It's kids without dads uh, that are in urban areas that are being brought into these kinds of things. Fathers are so important. You're absolutely critical in your life. Now, this is not in any way to diminish our single moms in the room. You're doing the best that you can. And by the grace of God and the help of the church family, you are going to raise kids that follow Jesus. Because as I said, we're just talking about churchgoers out of, that, out of those statistics. We're just talking about churchgoers. We're not talking about Jesus-loving followers. And so our encouragement to you single moms as this is keep going. Our own uh, worship leader here uh, this morning, one of our worship leaders, uh, Gray Newman, grew up. 
uh, in a home without his dad uh, nearby. And uh, obviously, he's doing an amazing job. His mom is an amazing woman. And so we want to say that as well. So what does male leadership in the home look like? One of the questions that I get a lot, especially of newly married uh, or people who are about to be married, is, is this, like, how do I lead my wife? And then there's a lot of guys who have been married for some time, and they're like, I just don't know what leadership looks like. And what happens is this, is that we've been talking about distractions in Philippians. There's lots of distractions. There's lots of models in our culture that you could be following. All these different models of how you could live your life and what that could look like and all of this stuff. And oftentimes... Men abdicate their role as leaders in the home, as fathers in the home, and it comes uh, honestly to us. And the reason it comes that way to us is that when we look at uh, the book of Genesis in the beginning, there you see Adam and Eve, and they're, and they're hanging out. God has given a specific leadership role to Adam. Both he, Adam and Eve are created equal in the eyes of God in image and beauty and all that stuff with complementary roles. And Adam is given a leadership role in his home, if you will, in the garden. And yet Satan comes and he attacks the woman. And instead of Adam stepping in and saying, hey, no, no, let's, honey, let's not do it. Instead of discussing that with her, it's silent on that issue. Instead of talking about that, it's silent on that count. And so what happens is that Eve takes the fruit, she gives it to Adam. Now, this is not to diminish women in our midst. And there's, there's many uh, so-called biblical scholars who would say, oh, that just diminishes women because of that theology. No, that's what happened in that situation. That's not to diminish women. We are all responsible for the fall. And so what happens is instead of talking to his wife, instead of leading lovingly out of that situation uh, with her, he goes along with that sin, so he is just as culpable. And actually, when God comes to the garden and he looks for uh, someone to speak with, he calls to Adam, he calls to the man. This is, this is illustrative of the reality that men, you are held responsible for where your family goes and what you do and how you are. It doesn't mean that you're responsible for every sin that your child or anybody in your home does. It just means this, that you're responsible for the leadership in your home. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to be a, uh, a good role model. But we don't know what that means. What does it mean to be a, uh, a good role model? Some of us have gone along so long that it's awkward for us to, to pray before a meal or to lead our family in prayer, um, especially when things are, are difficult. Or maybe we're, we only pray when things are difficult. And we, we don't pray when things are, are still good and thanking God for what he's doing. It becomes awkward for us because we've never led like that before, and so we never want to do it because we're just our, our wives and our kids would be like, who the heck are you? Where did you come from? Um, that kind of thing. Um, uh, it, it becomes awkward for us to bring the word of God out and to bring it to bear on our lives. So my goal with uh, any guy that I'm working with is to lead him to a place where it's no longer awkward for him to begin to express what it looks like to be a leader in the home. 
to be a leader in his family. Now, praise God, we have many people like that, many men in our church that are leading well. Um, it, many of you are here today, um, and, uh, and you have done well with your families, and so I'm so thankful for that. But this is something that we haven't talked about in a while. I want to take you to 1 Timothy 3. We're not doing Philippians today. 1 Timothy 3, chapter 1. Many of you will recognize this as the passage that we look to when we're talking about elders. But uh, it was explained to me recently, I think it was in one of my seminary classes, uh, maybe through some reading or a teacher, I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, but that this is not just the qualifications of an elder, like uh, the really great people are going to be doing these things. No, these are the minimum qualifications of what it looks like to be a good human being. Like this is what it looks like to be a good dad, a good father, a good husband, and so what we can all take from this, men, is we can take from this that through the power of Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, that we can become people that are walking with him and looking at our life and saying, you know what, these are some areas that I can work on. This is what it looks like to be somebody who is attaining to uh, the office of overseer. Now, an overseer is a... Uh, is, a, is really the, the word for, the word is there for a, a, a bishop or somebody like that who's overseeing a church. However, um, it, it's not just that. It, so it's talking about elders, it's talking about pastors, um, synonymous words there. Uh, but it's really saying this, that choose from, from among these men who are in a part of the local church. Choose from these guys who are exhibiting these traits and these qualities. So I wanted to walk through some of these with you. He says this in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what we know is, is that the people who are desiring to be a part of church leadership, they desire a noble task. It's a good thing to desire that. Now on to what it looks like to be a good human being. Verse 2 says this, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Now let's talk about being above reproach here for a second. Let's look at our lives. Let's, let's look at everything that's going on in our life. Let's look at our business dealings. Let's look at the way that we do our taxes. Let's look at the way that we uh, Keep track of our hours on our time card, whether we call in sick when we're not sick. Let's keep, let's keep track of everything that's going on, about the jokes that we tell when we're at work or when we're around our friends, about the way that we communicate with our, with our wives, about the way that we love our kids, the way that we're actually, are we actually after God or actually we're just kind of doing this on the side, just kind of, this is just something I do, kind of a deal. Above reproach means that without question, your life is a life that's saying, I want to live for Jesus Christ. I want to live for him I, so that there's nobody in the community, there's nobody around that could say, hey, that guy's got a, a serious issue. When it, in the context of eldership, the reason why you'd put that in there is this, is that like we bring a guy into a leadership. He seems like a great guy around here. He's, you know, he's, he's nice, he's friendly, he's teaching people or whatever. And then somebody in the community finds out, hey, that guy totally ripped me off. Or that guy was totally hitting on my wife. Or at least it seemed like it was because he was texting her a lot and stuff like that. Above reproach means with, it's without question. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is that, yes, we have freedom in Christ, but do we have freedom to not be above reproach? And the answer to that is no. The answer is, is that 
Is your life above reproach in such a way that, you, that it is without question either something that you've dealt with, you're dealing with, you're confessing, you're repenting, something like that. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that your aim is perfection. It is sanctification. It is walking with Jesus in a continual way and that there cannot be question that's brought, into, uh, brought to your character. What's your character like? Do you have character? Is it something that you're looking to and saying, I want to have good character because I, I want to do nothing to defame the gospel? The sermon that I was going to give today on Philippians uh, was very heavy on the idea of the, the, the defamation of the gospel. Is that like, I mean, the way that we live our lives is so much so it shines a light on the gospel and it either says this, it, it either says we believe a dysfunctional gospel or we believe the true and the living gospel. So do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord, that Jesus is your Savior, that he is your King? Or do you believe that you are King, that you are Lord, that you are Savior? You save yourself through the money that you make. You save yourself through the sex that you get. You save yourself through whatever, through your happiness. Go after your truth. That's a, that is the way that we save ourselves, and it's a lie that our culture tells you. It tells you... Guys, go after whatever feels good. Well, guess what? Hashtag me too. They did. And you didn't like it very much. Oh, so there are rules we should follow. Oh. Oh, okay. So men should not try to mess with someone who's not their wife when they're at work. That's, that's, that's crazy because there's a rule in the Bible that talks about not Committing adultery with another man's wife. That's, that's amazing. That is so amazing. Well, thank you, culture, for teaching us something that's been in the Word for thousands of years. Okay. Uh, okay. That was a tangent. Okay, here we go. Uh, the husband of one wife. A little bit repetitious here. You're the husband of one wife. You don't have multiple wives. That's not necessarily a problem today, at least not in Salem, maybe down in Utah, but not here so much. However, what is a problem is this. Do you have eyes only for your wife? You only have eyes for your wife. You're a one-woman man. You're a guy who says, like, this is my woman. All of my affection, all of my desire goes towards this woman. She's the woman that God has given to me. I, I'm married to her, so she is the woman that God has given to you. None of this mumbo-jumbo, like, oh, we didn't really get married, and it's so dumb, or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's stupid. And so you should honor the wife of your youth. You should be the one. You should allow her body to be the thing that always fulfills you. I've got a child in the room right now, so I won't talk too much more about that. There's other <laughs> verses about that. But in any case, it is saying that this is my woman, this is my wife, and it's not ownership. Don't get me wrong here, now, now. Uh, this is about, this is, this is the only one for me. This is the only one. You only have eyes for this wife. Only have eyes for this woman. Okay. Sober-minded, which also means self-controlled. The, the words there are so synonymous, it's basically a repetition of kind of the same thing. But it's like, do you lose your head? You lose your head in anger. Anger, a huge problem with us men. I will admit, I can have a problem with anger. Do you lose your head when things do not go right in your home? 
Lose your head with your kids. Let me just tell you, uh, in the early days of, of having children, I, I remember losing my cool in ways that I don't today. Praise God, I'm growing in that. I'm not perfect in that. But that's something that I'm looking to God and I'm saying, am I growing in the idea that like I am self-controlled? Self-control is not something that, that there's a high value placed on today. Remember what I said, that our culture is continuously telling you, do what feels good, be, you know, live your truth, those kinds of things. Live your truth means don't live with self-control. Live with reckless abandon. That's the progressive nature of our culture today. It means do what absolutely, do what anything that fulfills a desire for you. But as I said again, that's clearly not working for our culture as it speaks out of both sides of its mouth. Self-control is not something that we uh, place a high value on because it's uncomfortable and it's difficult. It's self-control with finances. Are you a guy that just, you get a paycheck and you go spend whatever you want, however you want. You have no self-control. Your wife is at home, and a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, you got a wife at home that's very aware of where the finances are at, to her credit. She's looking at that. I'm one of those guys that's just like, tell me what we need, and I shouldn't do that. I, I'll talk more about that in a minute. And, uh, but sometimes guys are just kind of reckless. You go out and buy whatever you need whatever you want. And mom's at home, and she's trying to put things together and just going, this isn't adding up. And it's in part because you've uh, got a drinking issue, or you've got a, you know, a spending issue, or you refuse to bring your behavior under control. There's no self-control there. There's no self-control. Self-control can, can just come in all kinds of ways. And the things that you need to look at is like, are, are you, are you, are you self-controlled when it comes to food? Do you eat too much? Gluttony's a thing. Are you self-controlled uh, when it comes to uh, your work? Can you control yourself and your desire to please other people, whether it's your boss or, or even yourself, with working more, getting the next sale, something like that? Do you have self-control in those ways? That's a, a good question to ask. Am I a self-controlled person? Respectable. Is what you're doing respectable? And <clears throat> there's a number of ways that we look at this. The, the definition of respectable in, uh, in the Apostle Paul's day, because he's the one that's writing this letter to, uh, to Timothy, this young pastor. But uh, it would be a different definition. But today, it's generally speaking, when you look at culture and the, the, the modes of culture and how that work, you know, coalesces with uh, you know, the scriptures and things like that, and the way that that's put, put together, is this, is, this somebody, is this somebody who is respectable in the things that they're doing? Are, are they carrying through with respectable things? The things that are common in our culture, and yet sometimes this is... Um, you know, a stereotype of, of genders, but I, I, I want to encourage you in one way in just a second. But sometimes, like, are, are you respectable in that you are concerned about providing for your home, men? Are you concerned about that? Uh, being a respectable person means somebody who says, I am, I am leading my family well in this, and I'm ensuring that they're cared for. 
I'm, I'm a respectable man in this. And so sometimes that means that even though the job that I want isn't the job that I have, the job that I have is better than a job that I don't have. And so I do that job. And so I, and so I, I go and I do that because that's what I need. Sometimes we got to get paid less. Sometimes we got to reduce our standard of living. But sometimes that means that like being a respectable person means this, that you are somebody who is continuously doing respectable things. And sometimes guys need to think about this, that like if you feel like you're not being respected by your wife, now your wife should respect you even though sometimes there are things that are not respectable that are coming out of you. She should still respect you as you should also love her no matter what. And, and of course there should be mutual respect there. But still, uh, sometimes guys need to do things that are respectable. You want respect from your wife? You need to do things that are respectable. You need to honor your wife in the things that she desires. If you're never listening to her, if you're never hearing her, if you're never talking to her, if you're never understanding where she's coming from, if she always wants to have a personal, personable, um, you know, emotional talk, we're not super good at this all the time. Some guys are, by the way, not everybody's the same, uh, but sometimes we just push them aside and we're not respecting her. And so in some ways we're not respectable. So if you want to be respected, you got to do respectable things. Are you respectable in your life? Hospitable. Hospitable. This is somebody who is, uh, is, is generous with other people in some ways. It may mean that you're hospitable in your home, but you're somebody who's hospitable to outsiders. This is what a godly man looks like. This is somebody who is hospitable to other people. And the word right there uh, means that it, it is particularly towards outsiders, not just people that we know that are within the context of the church, but it's people that are outside of the church. It's people that are, you know, in, in our midst and, and around us. Are you somebody that is hospitable? Do you show hospitality to uh, perhaps the single mom that's in our midst? that uh, needs, a, needs a dad figure for their child? Are you hospitable towards other people around you that are perhaps not believers? Now, oftentimes, my wife, is she is uh, so great at building relationships with people outside of uh, our network of friends, whatnot, and I go along for the ride, and so I just try to, try to do what she does. Oh, she's smiling, I'll smile, and, and be nice and uh, say hi and stuff like that. But I, I love it because she helps us meet other people. But we're, we're, I'm a part of that, and we are hospitable with the people around us. We got to have Marshall's ball team over yesterday, and so there was a mix of people there that we've never hung out with before. And, so, and not that we're so hospitable, but the truth is this, is that we invited people into our home that don't think like us. We invited people into our home, and we, we gave them the best of everything that we had. And it's because we want to be hospitable. Why? Because we are a projection. We are an image. We are a visual representation of who Jesus is and his gospel. We are people that are showing who Jesus is. And are you somebody that cares about that? Are you, do you care about reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ? These are good things. Able to teach. Now, you might say, well, that's, that one seems like that's specifically toward the person who's an overseer, somebody who's an elder or a pastor in a local church. And I would argue that the opposite is true. That the opposite is true. Everybody teaches somebody something, whether they do intentionally or unintentionally. 
How many stories have we heard? That's what my dad did. That's what I did. Guess what? Their dad, who didn't think that they were a teacher, taught them something. Taught them something. Your dad taught you something. You're, 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 you might be in church today because your dad taught you how to be in church. Your da- Everybody teaches somebody something. So you may believe that you're not a teacher, but the truth is you are teaching your kids. Your kids are learning from me. I just showed you this statistic. You're teaching your kids. You're teaching in your home. This is one of the biggest questions that I get. It's like, how am I a leader in my home? And does that mean I need to like pull out the uh, thing? Well, kids, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy, and uh, we're going to start in whatever chapter. Is, is that what it looks like? Because that would be awkward. I don't want to hear that from you. That's just weird, right? Um, I do that on Sundays. You don't do, you don't do that at home. Able to teach means this. It's like, is the whole of my life being washed by the gospel? So everything in my life, the things good and bad, I put through the filter of what is the gospel and what does it mean for me. So what this means is that uh, when, I, when I look through a list like this or I look through uh, my life and I go, okay, I'm not spending money well or I haven't been respectable or, or I don't only have eyes for my wife or, or something like that, the thing that I need to do is I need to say, man, that right there shows The fact that I have unbelief in Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as King. I believe that I am Lord. I believe that I am Savior or that this thing is Savior. I believe that I am King. I believe that I am the anointed one of God because I get to make all these decisions. Do you know what that is? It is a lack of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not believing. It is not having faith. So what we always talk about here at Outward Church is that Faith is not just the beginning of your walk with Jesus Christ. It is the ongoing expression that this is truly what you go on believing in. You don't just believe in Jesus once. So what you walk down an aisle, you signed a card or you got baptized or you something like that. You might be saved, but I don't know. The truth is this, that the visible representation of people that are walking with Jesus are people who are continually putting faith in Jesus Christ. It does not continue to save you. What it shows is that you were saved. It gives you you a security that says, hey, Jesus did save me back there because I still have a desire to walk with him. I walk with him. I walk with him. I walk with him. And so as a result, what, what we see in our life, we say, okay, there's a point in my life where I'm not walking with Jesus. I can see it in my own life. If you don't start to teach yourself the things of the gospel, you'll never teach anybody else. It's so stupid to go try to teach other people stuff that you haven't learned. Like, you've got to apply the gospel to yourself. And so you need to be able to say, what is my God right now? What's the most important thing to me in the midst of this argument with my wife? What's the most important thing to me in the midst of this stuff that's going on with our kids? Why am I so angry right now? Well, the thing that you can point to is you can say, you know what, my, the true and the living God in my life right now is not Jesus. Is not Jesus. The true and the living God in my life right now is me. So what do we do? What do we do? Confession and repentance. Confess to God and to others. My true and my living God has been my wallet, has been my lust, has been my whatever. And then repentance is turning the other way and saying, I want to walk with Jesus. 
It's gaining self-control. It's beginning to walk in a new way. Now, what does this do for you? It makes you able to teach your kid then what it looks like to turn away from the dead gods of this world. I get to say to my, my sons that baseball is not your God. Jesus is your God. So that if you lose a game, ultimately you have Jesus. You have not lost your God. I get to communicate with all of my kids. Listen, like this boyfriend or this girlfriend, if I ever let that happen, uh, I don't I have no idea why. I should not have even said that. But uh, sorry, son, you got earplugs for him. Um, uh, this boyfriend or this girlfriend is not life. Jesus is life. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the door. He's the, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Ultimately, your God cannot be this person that you thought you were going to marry. Ultimately, this person cannot be your end all. Ultimately, Jesus must be your end all. Why can I have that conversation with my child? Why? It is because I had the conversation with myself. I can lead my child because I led myself in the things of Jesus Christ. Able to teach means that you're teaching them something that is of the gospel. It happens in the same way in the marriage relationship. Guys say, I don't know exactly how to lead my wife. It's so awkward. I, like, I'm, and I heard this guy. I mean, I think he must have been in his 80s. He might have been in his 70s. I, I, I can't remember. But um, his name is Alexander Strzok. He wrote some amazing books. I heard him say this one time in a, in a conference. And I was like, did he just say that out loud? He's like, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, just, it's just weird when it, you're leading your wife. It just feels awkward when you're trying to teach her something. And me and my wife would do this sometimes. We would sit down and try to read the Bible together. And I always felt like I was preaching a sermon by the time we got done. And she was just like, you know, like this. Imagine me right now, like in our living room. But um, uh, it wasn't quite that bad. But it, it just, it felt that way. The teaching that comes in the home between the husband and the wife, it, it takes different facets. I mean, every, everybody does that differently in a lot of ways. But the Apostle Paul describes it in a way that's, that's pretty stinking cool, when he says in, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ's love for the church is shown in how he has sacrificially given himself up for the church. And so therefore, guys, you must sacrificially give yourselves up for your wives. And when you give yourself up for your wife sacrificially, it says this, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So sanctifying or perfecting influence, not that it's my job to perfect my wife. Oh, that's, that's, that's not good. That does, that's, that's not good. No, God has called me to be a sanctifying influence, not through my like, wife, you better stop doing that, or something like that. It is through sacrifice. 
It's lying down, bleeding out on the floor. That's when you know you've done enough. Guys, I can't do that. She keeps doing that. Dude, don't be a wuss. Come on. What what have men accomplished in this world? Fought great fights and wars and all of this. And I just can't do that. No, you can. Because Jesus did. Because Jesus did. So here's the thing. Sanctifying or perfecting influence comes from sacrificial leadership. So in order to lead your wife or, and your family, in order to be able to teach through your life, you can't come in a domineering way. It can never be that. It can never have even that intention. Your wife will sniff it out and it's over. You're done, right? It has to come in a way that is through sacrifice. You teach through the way that you sacrifice. Jesus teaches us through the way that he sacrifices. It's because of his sacrifice on the cross and shows us this is how much I love you that he woos us into relationship with him. You're teaching. Whether you believe it or not, are you teaching the way of Jesus or are you teaching the way of you? Not a drunkard. Not a drunkard. The overuse of alcohol, drinking too much. Some of you shouldn't drink at all because... You don't have self-control. The use of mind-altering drugs, that the only purpose is to get high. I mean, we have, in Oregon, marijuana is legal. According to the Bible, if the only purpose for that is to get high, or if the only reason why you're using it is to get high and to be out of your mind, that's drunkenness. That's drunkenness. Now, they may produce some other types of weed where it doesn't get you high, I don't know about that. All I know is that, for now, drunkenness is being out of your mind because of another substance. It's, being, it's, being, it's having your mind altered as a result of that. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says earlier in, in Ephesians. And so the question is, we're a church and we allow, uh, not that it's up to us necessarily, but we allow the use of alcohol in moderation, without getting drunk. Now, uh, there are churches like ours, many churches like ours, and this has even happened in our church, where that's taken and abused. Now, you can't be a godly father if you're getting drunk. I'm not saying that you can never. I mean, uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't forgive you. I'm saying this, that that is inconsistent. That is not respectable. That is not wise. That is not what God is calling you to. And so with our Christian freedom of saying that uh, Jesus' first miracle was making wine, so I just have a really hard time saying that this should never be, be used. And there's people that really push back on that. We've had people leave our church before. But there's a, there, there is a major problem, though, at the same time. And that is that people have misused it at times. Now, I don't know of any specific instances today, but I do know that there's enough people in this room right now that somebody in here is struggling with drunkenness. And that's a sin that Jesus died for, and he forgives you. Won't you confess and repent? There's somebody in here that still struggles with marijuana use, and it's, and it's taking a break from life and just saying, I just need this for me. Well, your God is not giving you comfort. Marijuana, THC, is giving you 
your comfort. Get your comfort from God, not from alcohol, not from those types of things. Not violent, but gentle. Are you, uh, are you violent in your home? You throw your weight around, you yell at your wife? Do you abuse her in any way? Brother, I love you. I love you. You cannot do that. And if we find out that you've been doing something like that, we're going straight to the police if it's illegal. But if you want to come forward and confess, then we would like to work with you. However, what I do want to say is that this is never, anything I'm saying today is never an excuse to allow an abusive husband in a home. That should never take place. Because it says right here, not only is it illegal to be physically abusive, to be uh, abusive in a lot, of, a lot of different ways, not only is it illegal, but it's against uh, uh, the laws of Scripture. That we should not be violent, but we should be gentle. So some of us, were not violent, but are we gentle with our kids? Are we gentle with the kids around us? Uh, I try to continuously show my kids um, that, that I, I love them. And so I have appropriate physical touch with my kids where I'm loving on them, I'm, I'm hugging them, I kiss them all the time. I'm going to do that until it makes them, you know, weirded out probably. But um, I just love my kids a ton. So I, I don't want to, because I have the tendency to be a violent person. I, I have, I'm... I'm passionate. I'm, I'm, I want to get things done. And I've, and I've yelled that way at my kids. But I have to come back on the other side. I have to apologize. I've apologized, haven't I, buddy? A few times <laughs> during building the house, I had to come back, buddy. I'm sorry. I know you're not like a 20-year carpenter. You were fine for having cut that a little short. He actually had that conversation. with was like, hey, Dad, this is the first time I've done, I've done this. I'm like, okay, you're 10 years old. I guess it's all right. I'll let you off the hook. That, that, this is an example of like, I've been, I have been violent in some ways. And the way that I respond, and I've had to come back and be gentle. And not only apologize once, but to apologize again. And, rem- and remind maybe right before bed, hey, hey but I, I'm really sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I yelled away. I'm, I'm sorry that I was trying to get you to do something that you're obviously not at that place yet. And so I have kindness and love for you. Not quarrelsome. You start fights, you want to get in, want to get in fights, passive-aggressive, those kinds of things. Not a lover of money. I mean, we've kind of covered some of that stuff. He must manage his own household well. I want to, I want to um, end with this verse. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Guys... We leave this to our wives too many times. And we have to be involved. You want to know why your kids are going crazy sometimes? It's probably, it, it, it may be, I don't, I don't want to say it actually, absolutely is, but it, it, it is probably because you have not been involved with your kids. They just don't obey. I just try to, do, well, uh, look in a little bit later in Ephesians. It says children should obey their parents. Children should obey their parents. It is a rule. It is your responsibility as the male in the home to ensure that your kids obey. Now, will they always obey? No. You cannot control those things all the time. But to the degree that you are able to, you should ensure 
that your children obey you, and especially your wife. So that's one of the things that we watch out for. Uh, if, if one of the kids is talking trash to mom, um, giving her lip or whatever, I'm like, oh, no, you didn't, right? Like, th this did not, you did not just say that to mom or, or those kinds of things. They get the wrath of dad in a violent but gentle way um, <laughs> um, <laughs> where I, I come and, I, and I, I love on them in a disciplinary way because, guys, discipline is love when it's done appropriately, correctly, and um, commensurate with, with what actually took place. So guys, you, you gotta be the lead disciplinarian. If you leave that to your wife, you're abdicating your role. You're doing what Adam did, that kind of stuff. So my hope this morning is that, <clears throat> what you're hearing from me is this, is that uh, this is what I'm calling you to. This is what Jesus is calling you to. And so, hopefully you can treat this like a huddle. Like, guys, these are the things that we got to watch out for. Look out for this, look out for that, look out for this. And I want us to blaze a trail out of here because I, I believe this, when guys are leading their homes well and families are functioning in a proper way, we have unlimited potential to affect our city. Are you a guy that's letting your wife do all the work, whether it's spiritually, working with the kids, all of that stuff, even holding your relationship together? That's a punk move. That's not being a man. That's abdicating your role. You're not a leader. You're, you're, you're being a jerk. Stop being a jerk. Start being a man. Start being a man of Jesus, walking in light of the gospel. Last thing I'll say is this. If you're sitting here and you're just going, man, I know that I've blown it in some ways. Hey, join the club, all right? There's nobody in here that has not blown it in some way this week, maybe this morning, okay? There's nobody in here that hasn't blown it in that way. Jesus went to the cross for that sin. And the question is, are you gonna receive that by grace? Not because it's gonna resave you or something like that, but, but, but receive that, that truth. Okay, I need that truth in my life and begin to walk in that truth today. And so today, we, we wanna walk in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our marriages. And guys, I'm so proud of you. I am. I'm so pumped to call you brothers. I'm so pumped that you're walking uh, with us in this, and I'm excited to see what God has for us next. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would uh, fill us with a passion to be godly men. Lord, there's so many of us in here that, that deeply desire this. Lord, for the guys that are like, I'm not sure if I want this. Lord, I pray that you'd work on their hearts Lord, that they would see your great love for them. And Lord, that as a result, that they would walk in that truth. And uh, as a result, see changes in their life. Lord, there's so many marriages that are on the rocks in some way or another. And Lord, you are the miracle worker. Lord, I know that you can do things in any situation. But Lord, we especially know that as, as the men in these homes decide, I want to walk with Jesus, there is such great possibilities for amazing things to take place through the power of your spirit. So Lord, I pray that they would open themselves to that. Lord, I pray that there would be confession and repentance on our hearts today as we go home. And Lord, that we would begin to walk with you if we haven't been or in the areas that we haven't been. It's in your name that we pray, amen.